Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Well, good morning to you. For, for those of you who don't know who I am, and there's probably a lot of you because I haven't been around a lot, what's the story here? Remember last time I had trouble with this too? How do you raise this? I'm not a musician. There we got it. My name's Doug, Doug Johns, and... Um, Yvonne, my wife, and I have made this our home church since we've moved back to Creston, uh, <laughs> but you haven't seen much of us, and that's because um, I've had the real honor of being able to preach in churches that need preachers. One of the uh, churches that I have been quite regular at has called a pastor. It might be by the end of the year that that new pastor will be there, so I'll I'm still helping them out uh, as best I can and looking forward to when I'm not preaching uh, every Sunday. Next Sunday, I'm going to be at a new church to me uh, in Calgary. So we've been around and we've been traveling a lot. Uh, you don't know who I am. Here's, here's where we've come from. Figure this one out. I was born and raised in Toronto. I moved from Toronto to Boston from Boston to Saskatoon, from Saskatoon to Innerkip near Woodstock, Ontario, and then we moved to Woodstock, New Brunswick, and from Woodstock, New Brunswick, we moved to Maple Ridge, British Columbia, and from Maple Ridge, British Columbia, we moved to uh, Boston. Oh, I messed something up. Yeah, we moved to Boston, and then from Boston, we moved to Creston, and from Creston, we moved to Aurelia and from, in Ontario, and from Aurelia, Ontario, we moved to Brockville, Ontario. From Brockville, Ontario, we moved to Kimberley, British Columbia. From Kimberley, British Columbia, we moved to Germany, and then I finally retired, and we moved back to Creston, and we're not moving anymore. So that's our story. And uh, even within some of those moves, there were moves within the moves. So, um, yeah, it's been exciting. Listen, working on this whole uh, message of, of judging others, and, and Dana introduced us to that subject very well, uh, uh, kind of opened up a few wounds. I mean, I began to think about people who had been judging me all the way back to my childhood. Now, my parents were wonderful, loving, and, you know, only criticized me when I really needed to be criticized or judged. Uh, but uh, there was my hockey coach. He judged me. I stopped playing at age 15 or 16 because he says, Doug... You can only turn one way on the ice. I like to score goals, but he says, Doug, you also have to play defensively sometimes. Doug, you have to take a hit sometimes. I didn't like being hit. 
it opened up some wounds. It opened up some wounds about being in my church, a wonderful home church. But some of the people back then, and that was a long time ago when I was a teenager, they were a little hard on the teens. Well, sure, we liked to, by the time we were 14 or 15, sit by ourselves up on the balcony. Uh, sure, we would make paper airplanes out of the bulletins and fly them down. Sure, sometimes hymn books fell over the balcony onto people's heads. A number of years later, I was a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor at a church in Massachusetts, and um, I had to defend the teens because there were still people in church who judged them a little too harshly. I, I mean, sure, Sure, there was that time where I got a friend on a Friday night after dark to take the youth group out behind the Christian Ed building, and, and, and I had him show us how his potato gun worked. <laughs> and we would launch spuds over the Christian Ed building aimed at the steeple. So... But they were a little harsh in their judgment when there was damage done to the steeple. <laughs> but seriously, some things do hurt from our past, from people who have been over-judgmental. I, I, I remember times as a pastor having some well-meaning person come up to me, and I'm not going dis- I'm not, I'm not to disclose where this was, uh, because some of you would know this person. <laughs> God, God bless her. But um, Doug, you, I, I really don't like what you're wearing on Sunday mornings. A, a white shirt is what you should be wearing on Sunday mornings. And, you know, you get to be able to let some of it flow off your back, right? But... After a while, constant judgment and criticism kind of gets to you. I remember in Bible college, I went to Bible college between my university and my seminary, and I remember uh, having a chapel meeting and, and some big honcho on the staff of the Bible college came up and told all three or four hundred of us and said, you are disgracing this Bible college. We cannot raise the money from our donors and they're going to stop giving if you don't stop wearing blue jeans. And that was the era. And that was the transition time. And I can remember that kind of a judgment as if that had an effect on, uh, as if that was appropriate in terms of uh, saying how we were doing spiritually. My goodness, things have changed, and I'm glad for it. Even on my street growing up, and some of you will, who are older will identify with this, now my kids and grandkids couldn't, wouldn't believe this. But my parents, and, and if any of you come from do any of you come from a Roman Catholic background? Probably some of you. No, not too many of you. 
Um, but my parents made it clear. Now figure this one out. Made it clear what kids on the street were Catholic and what kids were Protestant. And just by pointing that out, suggested to me that I shouldn't hang out with them. Now, how weird is that? This is in Ireland. It was suburban Toronto. Judgment. Judgment. Or judging. So let's see if we can figure this out. One more story, very quickly. And it points out how harsh it can be. Uh, one of my... Uh, Jobs in life was executive director of Christian camps in Ontario, in New Hampshire, and in British Columbia. And I can remember at some of the camps, one of the great things that was done at the end of the camp, and until I could influence and get this out of the practice of that camp, was to have a kangaroo court. This was big fun. Oh yeah, sure. So, so what would happen on the last night of camp around, uh, just before campfires, they'd have a kangaroo court and they'd get some of the, the older campers and some of the staff and they would haul up before them about a half a dozen different people that had been evaluated and judged during the week. And some people, some people were, were being, uh, uh, made fun of because they wore, uh, clothes that didn't match stripes and polka dots and uh, some people were being pulled up before the kangaroo court because they tipped the canoe sometime during the week and others were being pulled up before the kangaroo court because they they spilled their food during meals and and uh, some were pulled up before the Maybe this was good. Pulled up before the, the kangaroo court because uh, uh, the boy counselor was caught having a little amorous attention with the girl counselor behind the chapel. I know. Um, but it became, it became humiliating and it became harsh and, and it turned some people off of the camp experience. And I outlawed that after a year because I saw the damage it did to some people having a panel of people point out to you some of the stupid things you may have done during the week. The King's Speech. The Sermon on the Mount. It's about how kingdom citizens live, think, and behave, or should. For so many of us, it takes only a brief time for our true colors to show. Quite quickly, we can replace positive with the negative. You can in your own homes, too. Sometimes we replace sweet with bitter, or we replace warm with cold, or helpful becomes hurtful. And it can happen so easily, and it can happen in an instant, and we can't take our words back. We can't take our thoughts back. The abrasive expressions, the styles that God has never intended for his kingdom are sometimes demonstrated by kingdom people. Let's be honest. Matthew chapter 7 Verses 1 through 5, if we can pull that up. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So easy it is for God's people to become people of criticism, lobbying bitter bombs of judgment at each other. And hold on, right now you're thinking, ha, I know someone. You're thinking, ah, my neighbor, my friend. Oh, my brother needs to hear this. My mother needs to hear this one. And you're going to sneak over in the middle of the night and leave a copy of this sermon at their front door. Or you're going to put it in a plain brown envelope and mail it to them. And if you're thinking like that right now, then this message right now is for you. Here's the problem with indiscriminate judging. We each have some serious I would going on. Here's hypocrisy again. Jesus raises this many times in the Gospels. Jesus points out on numerous occasions the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Now, don't miss this. He's, he's, he's very, very clear on the religious leaders are being hypocritical. But now, Jesus admits in this passage, he recognizes that even his own followers are capable of hypocrisy. First, get rid of the log, the plank. Do some serious soul searching. A forgiven and graced person will be much more gentle and humble and empathetic. Uh, Interestingly, he said, first, so he's not negating the, the things that we see in other places in Scripture where you are responsible, perhaps, to correct your brother or sister, where you are to keep them from sin, where you are, to, you are your brother's keeper. But, but Jesus has seen that so easily we get lulled or we get, we get lured, is the word. We get lured into this, oh, what's wrong with you? Look at that. That's why is that going on? And we fail to look after what's going on in our own eye or in our own heart. A forgiven, graced person will be much more gentle as they deal with others if they have looked after the log in their own lie. Yvonne, my wife, said to me that she just read, and she didn't say where, but she said, If it's all about judging, there's no room for loving. If it becomes all about judging, there's no room for loving. What is it to judge? And in the Greek, it has a number of uh, ramifications. And we can pull up the next slide. It can mean to condemn to damn, 
to try someone in the courtroom of your consciousness. It can mean to administer a divine verdict. And we need to remember James chapter 4, verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. So who are you to judge your neighbor? The context of Jesus' teaching is a culture of criticism. I think we have that kind of a culture too. A climate where Pharisees openly wait for an opportunity to pounce, and when they spot minute violations, as Dana was showing, when they spot minute violations of the law, like the cop who wants to pull you over. Any policeman here? Like the cop who wants to pull you over for being just a few kilometers per hour over the limit. It's a culture of criticism, and it's not the kind of culture that goes along with the kingdom of God. And have to have an awareness that there can be danger in church. It's so easy to start an epidemic. And I think judging could also be married to gossiping many times. And we have to be careful of that. And communities of compassion can soon become communities of criticism. I can start something and soon it spreads, but know this, eventually it comes back to me. And that was the first part of the verses that were read. It will come back to you. As you judge, you will be judged. Kind of like if you're old enough to remember playing with yo-yos, those hard yo-yos. Do you remember? Anybody remember those? And sometimes you would play with that and it would come crashing back at you and it would hurt. And so sometimes your judgment comes crashing back at you and it's like a boomerang and it hurts. Be careful how you criticize and judge. Matthew chapter 7 verse 2 was the verse that said, you know, it's going to come back on you. So be careful. It's kind of the reverse of what we found in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It comes back at you. This is a negative thing. Be careful how you judge, because it's going to come back at you. But here we are. And I can tell you horror stories, even from the churches I've been in. We got to get the binoculars out. Where's my telescope? And I'm going to find something that's wrong with you. And that's not the church. That's not the real church. I'll get you. I'll put you on death row now. I'll embarrass you. And rarely is it accidental that I notice the speck in your eye. I've gone looking. I'm looking for some dirt on you. And then I find it, and I jump up and down because somehow that makes me feel better. Oh, I might even post it on the internet. I'll let people know how important this is that I saw the speck of sawdust in your own eye. Maybe there's a hint of revenge. Maybe I'm not able to deal with all the hurt that I experienced in my own life. 
I'm not sure what's going on, but it's not of the kingdom. And so we're blind. And here is the humor of Jesus, hyperbole, exaggeration. You see in them sawdust and you've got an oak tree in your own eye. They have specks, you have planks. They have splinters, you've got a log. And the Greek words denote small twig or stalk. And then it also, on the other hand, shows the large crossbeam. No small toothpick. It holds up an entire structure. And maybe Jesus is borrowing this kind of image from his time in the carpenter shop. And therefore, you become a hypocrite. Pretending to be someone that you're not. Covering it up. And you become a spectator looking for someone else's faults. Meanwhile, I'm blinded by my own eye irritants. I'm blind to the grace and mercy of the Lord. Listen to this. God welcomes us into his family mercifully, offering forgiveness. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, the tax collector, Not condoning or approving, but gracefully receiving and hopefully empowering to change. And if we are people of the king, we need to live like the king. I'm blind if I keep looking for specks, because then I can't see you as God sees you. I'm consumed by judging. I can't see that you are precious in God's sight. You deserve better from me. And you could get it if I could just see through God's righteous binoculars instead of my judging sinful glasses that I have on. But I become abusive and abrasive and obnoxious. And we all know people who have tried to correct us, who just don't have the personality. And so I say to you, and maybe this is the phrase I want you to go home with, is yank the plank. Well, actually, you can't do it. God is the heart surgeon. He's the eye surgeon. He's the healing physician of the church. Let God yank the plank. Ask God to replace any harsh, critical spirits that are residing in us. We need to have redemptive empathy, and that only comes as we experience God healing us. Our big mistake in all of this is that we think our duty is to police the universe. To clean up the world. And perhaps we need to start with ourselves. I was going to read to you a story. I'll leave it for now. I was going to read to you a story about someone who did a scientific study on their kitchen and... uh, they discovered where in the kitchen, whether it was a messy kitchen 
or a pristine kitchen, they found the same amount of salmonella. And so the story goes on to say, salmonella of the soul is disturbing. We have to start with ourselves. We have to start with ourselves. I will read this to you. And this is from Isaiah chapter 6. It's a familiar passage. In the year of King Isaiah died, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. What? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in that context and in that environment, when we get a picture of the holiness of the king, We say this with Isaiah, woe to me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and I am also unclean. And the prayer of Isaiah isn't God wipe them out now. Listen to what happens. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And representing purification, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So even when you recognize the speck in someone else's eye and the mess in their lives, you have to say, first, I'm a man of unclean lips. And let God come and do the healing. Well, we don't have time to try and do the last verse of that passage, but it's not about indiscriminate living because Jesus does warn. He'll go on and, and, and later on he'll talk about, about uh, warnings against false teachers and false prophets. And obviously you can't distinguish without some form of evaluation. But just go from this place this morning knowing that Jesus is talking about what's going on in our mind and our heart and what comes out of our lips. And it can be so harsh and hurtful that when it comes out like that, it makes it really difficult to talk about the love of Christ. If I can have two more minutes. I love this story. It's written as a parable. I think it was written in the late 1800s, so there's old language to it. There's old language to it. So that's part of what goes on. Listen carefully. There is a certain millionaire who hath his office on the second floor of the First National Bank building. And when he goeth up to his offices, he rideth in the elevator 
But when he goeth down, then he walketh. And he is a haughty man, who once was poor and hath risen from the world. He is a self-made man who worshipeth his maker. And he payeth his rent regularly on the first day of the month, and he considereth that not that there are human beings who are working the elevators, who clean the windows. He considereth not that there are people that hang at great heights above the sidewalk and who shovel coal into the furnaces under the boilers. Neither doth he at Christmas time remember any of them with a tip or a turkey. And there is in that building a poor woman who scrubbeth the stairs and the halls. And he hath walked past her often, but hath never seen her until recently. For his head was high in the air, and he was thinking more of his millions and ignoring those who had none. Now it came to pass on the day that he left his office and started to walk down the stairs. And the scrub lady was halfway down, for she had begun at the top and was giving the stairs their once or their first once over. And upon the topmost stair, in a wet and soapy spot, there was a large cake of soap. And the millionaire stepped on it. Now the foot he set upon the soap flew eastward towards the sunrise. And the other foot started on an expedition of its own toward the going down of the sun. And the millionaire sat down on the topmost step, but he did not remain there. As it had been his intention to descend, so he descended, but not in the manner of his original design. And as he descended, he struck each step with a sound as if it had been a drum. And the scrub lady stood aside courteously and let him go. And at the bottom he arose and considereth whether he should rush into the office of the building and demand that the scrub lady should be fired. But he considered that if he should tell the reason, there would be great mirth among the occupants of the building. And so he held his peace. But since that day, he has taken notice of the scrub lady and passes her with circumspection. For there is no one so high or mighty that he can afford to ignore any of his fellow human beings. For a very humble scrub lady and a very common bar of soap can make the mind of a great businessman come off of his business with rapidity. Therefore, consider these things and count not thyself too high above even the humblest of the children of God. Lest thou come down from thy place of pride and walk off with thy bruises aching, and a little more by reason of the suspicion that the scrub lady is smiling in her suds and facing the day's work a lot more cheerfully these days. Go from this place knowing that while you look for specks in other people's eyes, there are logs in your own. Let us pray. Lord, work in our hearts, our minds. Make us people who love with grace, 
who empathize with love. Make us people who first see that our lips need to be touched before we even think about all the people with unclean lips around us. Work by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.